Okay, this is 25 and not famous, question mark, the podcast, and not that there's anything other than a podcast, and I am really excited today to be talking to my oldest friend, who I've literally known since they were born in hospital in Manchester. Um, It was really cool to catch up, um, especially because I got to go and visit her new flat in Manchester, where she is also just moved back at a very similar time to me. Um, I had quite the journey home from London. I timed my move back so horrifically. You know when you've done something and it's so, like, such a horrible experience to have to go through, but it is literally only your fault. So, my dad very, very kindly came down to London with his friend who has a van and picked up all of my stuff at like 8am on Monday morning. So I had everything packed up and ready to go, but I wasn't getting the coach till the following Saturday. So I was just living out of a huge rucksack for a full week. And that meant I didn't have any pillows. I had one towel. I was sleeping on a jumper with like one sheet kind of over me um and yeah I couldn't I just couldn't really have anything for that week and then to make matters worse I was actually kicked I was being kicked out of my flat because my tenancy was ending on the Thursday morning but my last day of work was the Friday and I had to hand in my work laptop aka my only laptop because I had broken my personal one a few months before and it was in Manchester being fixed because it's much cheaper to get it fixed in Manchester. And I had two nights where my friend very, very kindly let me sleep at her house, which was down the road from where I work. So it was very handy, um, but involved kind of moving out in a storm, um, turning up to the estate agents with all three of the keys to the flat, like, dripping wet and carrying all my stuff on my back into work and then to my friend's house Um, and on the Friday morning I managed to brilliantly drop my phone down the toilet which because I dropped my phone a couple of months before at a rave onto a cobblestone floor and smashed the screen into almost oblivion it was miraculous that the phone even worked anymore um as soon as that went down the toilet given the hundreds of cracks for the water to go into it was kaput like it wasn't working at all I was actually really lucky with the timing because I still had several hours left of having my work laptop which meant I could print off my bus ticket home But it did mean that I was staring down the barrel of a seven hour journey on the tube, the coach and then the train back to where I live in Manchester um, with absolutely no devices. Um, And I was kind of nervous about that. I expected, you know, I'm coming from a place where at the beginning of this year I had to walk around with Netflix. I had to fall asleep to Netflix. I was addicted to having something playing all the time that could never be silence so staring down the barrel of seven hours of silence with nothing but my own thoughts was pretty weird and I was pretty convinced that I was going to end up feeling really upset and I decided to kind of treat it a bit like a 
funeral for leaving London. Not that I'm dramatic at all, but I was like, cool, I've got this specific time to process and mourn. And as we were driving through London, because quite a lot of the coach journey is through North London, I was literally thinking about all the different places I've lived, the people I've lived with, the relationships I've had, the friendships I've had and lost. I was like baiting myself to cry, essentially. I was thinking about all the jobs, everything that's happened to me, um, the kind of different eras of my life that have taken place over the last four to, I guess, seven years, because I was going to London a lot during university as well. Um, And I just couldn't make myself be upset. It was really weird. I think I've probably done so much processing over the last year and knowing that I was probably going to leave at the end of the tenancy that I had, you know, Ariana Grande, no tears left to cry, famous last words. And it was actually just a really peaceful seven hours. And we pulled into Manchester in the middle of Pride, which is something that I grew up going to the parade every year. And everyone was so well dressed. Everyone was like smiling at each other. And I could kept seeing strangers having conversations and, you know, this person coming out of the shop and talking to that person. And it was just so nice. I obviously ended up making friends with the person sat next to me because we were circling Manchester for ages because it was impossible to park the coach station. It's right by the gay village. So yeah, we ended up making friends and talking about pride. And it was just great, a great advertisement for the city on the day that I was moving back. But that silence really made me think about gaps in your life and how they come at different times for different people. I don't know that many other people in my life who are going through such an extreme period of transition and any period of transition means that you have to leave a gap. Like a lot of my relationships and friendships are going to change because of me moving and because of everything else changing. My career is in a massive gap where I'm living is going to be in a massive gap and what I want to do next everything is so unknown I don't know who I'm going to meet what I'm going to end up doing and how easy it is confronted with that especially when I was still in London to just think oh fuck let me go back to what I already know like I really feel like I want to get back together with that person or I really feel like if I just put in loads of effort with these friends that I'm not hearing from, like everything will be fine and I'm fine just putting in most of the effort or actually this job's really good and I could probably get promoted and and I'd be definitely could be happy here even though it's not what I really want to do, doesn't like set my soul on fire or whatever. It's like the, the comfort of that is so much nicer than the gap but I'm not really feeling that scared anymore now that I'm actually in it because I think once you just kind of surrender yourself you believe that there is going to be something else on the other side and also while you're in the gap is when you kind of get to know yourself and you are it's mostly you on your own so you have to learn to be nice to yourself I think that we talk about this a lot in the episode to do with breakups but I think in general, in everything, when there's periods of transition, you end up with yourself more. And it's a really good opportunity to learn (laughs) how to treat yourself better. And something that I thought about a lot while making this episode is that even when it feels like everything is in flux, and everything is changing, and there's nothing 
consistent around you to hold on to there are always people or things that you've always done and, and it's important to reach out and remember those and the guest today is such a great example of that because she has seen me through every different version of myself and so it's a really grounding experience to meet up with those people and remember that you've been through transition before you'll go through transition in the future but there are some things that will always stay consistent so I hope you guys enjoy listening to the episode let's get into it welcome to 25 and not famous question mark oh my gosh thank you so much (laughs) yeah I'm so gassed that you're here full disclosure we are actually sat in the same place but in different rooms because to record this on our 25 and not famous low budget recording equipment it needs to be remote but I also haven't seen you in ages and I'm back in Manchester and I wanted to see you so exactly we've got a less than 24 hour window to um cross paths before you jet off so that actually makes me feel ill (laughs) thinking about the fact that like this time tomorrow I'll be basically have already left with my massive rucksack um but yeah I am very very gassed to have you on you are my oldest friend and I I am going to claim, like, stake my claim to being your oldest friend because I'm pretty sure that I went to the hospital when you were born. So if you have an older one, I think that's pretty impressive. I honestly don't think I do. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much genuinely for coming on. I'm really excited for the conversation because we've been having this kind of chatting shit conversation for our entire lives, so may as well record it. As you know, the first question that I normally ask um, when I'm doing these recordings is, what were you doing when you actually turned 20? So how were you celebrating, commiserating? What were you feeling? Do you remember it? What's going on? (laughs) Well, this is a tough one. So my birthday is the 3rd of January and I've always hated my birthday because it's just after New Year and me and my friends always go big for new year it's my favorite night of the entire calendar so my birthday feels like a bit of an afterthought that I have to do something for because otherwise it's a bit sad but I don't necessarily want to but there's sort of that social pressure where you're like I'm a loser if I don't celebrate my birthday with my friends what I remember we'd gone to Sheffield to my friend's house and we'd had like a house party for new year's eve and then I think a few days after my birthday, we did a big night out in Manchester. Um, I was back from uni for Christmas and a few of my friends from Glasgow came down from it. And we, yeah, went on a big night out, went clubbing. I remember, get, like, you know, leaving the club at about four and we went into the gay village and we I think we went clubbing till probably about seven in the morning. Um mm-hmm. It's a classic structure of a Manchester night out. <laughs> exactly. The gay village is always open and it's great, but also like nobody needs to be clubbing until seven in the morning. <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think I was just quite excited to turn 20. I don't think I really had that fear. I felt very grown up. I'm looking back at it. Mm. Um <laughs> You were done with being a teenager. You were an adult. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you were like, yeah, 20 sounds really, you know, sophisticated. And then actually you realise every year you get older. You're like, wow, I knew nothing. (laughs) I was so young. But yeah, I remember that being super fun. And then I always think on my actual birthday, I usually, it's just like a, you know, we get a takeaway. 
I will have a few glasses of like Prosecco with the family and we'll have, you know, you and your family would sometimes come round and it's always quite low key. If I'm not, you know, doing something big on my actual birthday, it's usually just family friends that take pity on me because they know my birthday is always a bit rubbish. But yeah. I mean, that sounds so lovely. I mean, because I remember that would have been 2018 and it was my last year of uni. So I actually remember that I would have missed your birthday because quite psychotically for me I was very very stressed about my final exams and I actually went straight from my new year's in London and got a train on the 1st of January back to uni because the libraries opened on the 2nd of January and your birthday's on the 3rd so honestly I could have been having the loveliest time having Prosecco at your house yeah if you feel you need to be there it's the place you need to be otherwise you'll just be too stressed to enjoy the thing you're actually doing yeah that's true you are probably one of the most hardworking people that I know, speaking of libraries. I feel like because you study medicine, you've been studying for the last six years. So every time we've met up, it's always been like there's huge exams. Like it's so intense, like you're always preparing for stuff. You're so good at it, though. I feel like medicine students often are very good, like by the end your exams tend to kind of not freak you out as much as they do like other undergrads because you're just like a seasoned professional at exam taking. But I did really want to talk to you about studying medicine because I know quite a lot of people who've studied it, but I would say out of all those people, and sorry if any of them are listening, I think you are definitely the most passionate about that and about, you know, when I talk to you about like the placements that you've done, you've told me some amazing stories And I just, yeah, would love to hear a bit about like where that passion kind of comes from and like what about your time studying medicine and obviously you've just started being a doctor, like what about that do you feel like you get the most out of? So I was not one of those people that sort of came out the womb wanting to do medicine. You, You meet a lot of those in med school and they are kind of terrifying yeah, I remember you telling me this, actually. At first, you were like, I really don't get on with the other medics. They're very stressful. Yeah, they're just... They're, you have to be a certain type of person to do medicine. But you can sort of be that type of person and then be able to socialise with other human beings as well. And you do meet some people that can't. And you're like, God, I would not want you to be my doctor because you'd probably terrify me. Um, but yeah, I didn't always want to do it. I sort of took that uh, classic, you know, 16, 17-year-old viewpoint of I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what my mum thinks that I should do because my mum doesn't know me, she doesn't understand me, you know. And, of course, you know, my mum is a physio and I think she literally loves her job so much, but I think she always thinks maybe, you know, she could have done medicine, she definitely could have done, she's a brain box, you know, she's so caring she'd be an amazing doctor and she's an amazing physio, you know, she does incredible things for people. Um, so she sort of wanted me to do that. And I had that, I was always, you know, quite bright. I was such a nerd. I love studying. I love sciences. So she put that in my head. Oh, maybe you should do medicine. And I was very much like, Ugh, why would you say that? Like, no, I don't want to do that. And so I think I ended up looking for like natural sciences or something. And I genuinely don't even know what that even is like (laughs) I just started looking at like uni courses for that and yeah and then I realized oh maybe my mum does know me 
better than anyone Just else. a little bit, like over the last <laughs> 18 years. Maybe my mum is wise and she actually knows what's best for me. And God, I'm so glad that I got over my 16-year-old self and I let my mum be right about something. Um, because it's tough, but I honestly can't imagine myself doing anything else. Like, I love it. And there's so much room for growth in it. Like, you're, you, you will never not be able to learn more or develop your career in a way that you want to go which I think is quite unique in sort of in the jobs that you're never going to peak you know you're never going to be CEO like even if you're a consultant you can sort of specialize in different areas and there's there's always new research and um, new drugs coming out and you sort of need to always be learning and staying on top of the game and know everything in your field and I think that's what is really interesting about medicine yeah it sounds really unpredictable yeah which actually I'm such an organized person you'd think that I'd hate and there is actually a lot of it that is predictable about it like you know you do your uni career and now I'm on my first year of foundation and you do that for two years and it does sometimes feel like you're in a bit of a rat race because you have to jump through so many hoops but actually you do have so much autonomy in what you want to do do you have any moments from like things that you've had to do at work that have kind of made you think about what it is that you love about the job? Yeah. Um, so I was on my A&E placement and I was put in Dumfries and Galloway, which is honestly just like the middle of nowhere. And I was thinking I was, I was going to hate the placement and I had to stay in hospital accommodation and I was an hour and a half away from Glasgow where all my friends were. But actually, I had literally the best five weeks of my life. It was incredible. I got so involved. They made you feel like you were really part of the team. And I think as a medical student, you don't get that all the time. You sort of, uh, someone, that they're like, ugh, why are you here? Or, you know, you can't feel, you can't really be very useful because you're still learning. Um, but whereas in Dumfries, because it was more peripheral, they got you really involved, you were in all the time. And we had an opportunity to go out with the ambulance service and be with the paramedics for a day um and it was just an optional thing but I thought oh my gosh yes like me and my sister love watching 24 hours in A&E and things like that <laughs> so I was like if anything I have to do it for her because she would love to do this and if I don't do it because I'm a bit nervous about it you know she'd kick me so I went out and I had the best day and god big respect for paramedics they are just the front line of the NHS and they're incredible um they were just so great with like patients and it's so different as well seeing patients in their home you see what makes them tick you see what um they care about you know you see them with their wee dogs which it's just little things like that I was really eye-opening to see people's like home situations which is something you don't get with hospital medicine but yeah so it got to the end of the day and I was finishing at I think about seven and it was maybe like six and we got called out to a job and we had no idea what we're going for actually it was just sort of unwell woman and all day we'd not had anything too serious um so we just sort of went along to it with blue lighted there and it was that like we arrived and it was a like a cardiac arrest um so someone had had a massive heart attack and a bystander was doing CPR just it was honestly like on a street it was 
rain and cats and dogs. Like it was so wet and we just jumped out and we realised, oh my God, like this is, this is it. You know, this is a chronic arrest. Even the paramedics, I was with a paramedic that she just qualified as sort of someone that could lead a team. So she'd never led her own cardiac arrest before. And you just sort of just had to jump to it. And this bystander had been doing it, a CPR for about eight minutes. Oh my gosh. And I actually wasn't supposed to, um, like, be doing anything. I was just supposed to be observing. But obviously, I, I get trained in that. I was in my fourth year of my, like, medical training so I was like not far off the end and yeah so we did like CPR in the rain for this woman I was like did chest compressions and we ventilated her and it like you know all in the rain on the pavement people are crowding around and then actually we got uh like a return of circulation and we got a breathing again and it was honestly just I couldn't believe that actually happened it's very rare actually that that happens especially in the community um, so we rushed into A&E and we sort of handed it over to the team in A&E and that was it. But then obviously that's, you know, that was my first cardiac arrest. It was a big deal for me. So I had like taken a hospital number down and I was like, oh, I'll keep tabs on her and see how she does. And she went to intensive care as people would do after this. And a few days later I checked and she had passed away and my first thing I was like oh my god this is so sad and I didn't really know how to feel about it and then I spoke to my mum about it and yeah we just decided actually like even though you know it wasn't that fairy tale outcome where you know they were alive and everything's you know happily ever after my mum sort of said to me but that was the difference between her like dying on the street in the rain surrounded by no one she knew whereas she was you know we got her back to life and she passed away in ITU where her like family were aware of what happened and I think they'd come to visit her and she was you know she was warm and she was cared for and you know there's a you know communication with the family which is obviously so important for how they heal and how they grieve and I thought even you know medicine's not always going to be saving lives but I took so much like I had I felt so good about the little part that I'd had to even just make someone's death a bit better and maybe a bit easier for the people that love them. To be able to do medicine, you need to, you know, be able to get positive things out of, you know, generally sad things. Like people dying, people are going to die all the time. But it's, you know, I feel quite passionate about trying to make situations that are sad and hard for families, you know, just via like a smile or like you know doing your little bit or communicating well with patients like you can make it a little bit easier even if you can't you know wave a magic wand and make everything better and I think yeah that was a big turning point for me where I was like oh I want to do my bit. What's it like after that happens like that story that you just told about being in the rain and having to give you know like resuscitation what do you do when you go home from that day of work? <laughs> I wasn't sure how I was going to react actually I have a hard exterior but I'm a massive softie and I really really care about people even if you know it's not someone that I necessarily you know know personally so I really I felt really numb like the the ambulance team were incredible so afterwards you have a debrief and you know people got us sugary tea and biscuits and you talk about what happened which is really really helpful because it just it it makes what you're feeling you know validates it so that was really good and then 
yeah, I still felt a bit numb. And then it's the end of the shift. And I remember I went to Aldi. <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> this is not an advertisement for what you should be doing <laughs> when things happen in your life. But I went to Aldi and I rang my mum and I chatted to her on the phone about it while I was picking out a bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just chatted it through with my mum as I do with most things in my life, really. And she just made me feel so much better about it all. And then I went back to the boys that I was in the hospital accommodation with and they were like, where have you been? Because I got back late and I said, oh my God, you'll never guess. Like, I actually just saved this woman's life. And they thought I was joking. And I, I was like, oh no, no, actually this happened. And honestly, they couldn't believe it. And they were like, so lovely about it. And I was like, I've just bought a bottle of wine. Please will someone have a glass of me? And we just sat and we just had a glass of wine. And you do need, yeah, just good friends, I think, is what helps with things like that especially it's really good having doctor friends like I love chatting to my non-medic friends obviously about things but it, your doctor friends will understand exactly what you're going through like you know like people that aren't going through it won't be able to so it's really nice at the end of the day to be able to come home and talk through what has happened in your day and I think that is the main thing that helps you when you have a crappy day like that absolutely I've definitely heard the same thing about that relatability and while you can imagine it and you can watch as many like reruns as Scrubs episodes as there are played on E4 or whatever and imagine it, it's out of my realm of understanding for that to be a work day. Like I'll literally go to the toilet and cry at work if someone looks at me funny. Like (laughs) the office life is just so unbelievably different. You haven't always wanted to be a doctor, but now you very much do and are loving it. But before you had kind of embarked on this career, have you ever wanted to be famous? Ooh. Um, I actually don't think I've ever wanted to be, you know, celebrity famous. Um, I am such, like, an independent person. Like, I can't imagine not being able to go about my day without privacy, you know, like I love, yeah. you know, the the walk to Aldi in your trackies in a state on a Sunday. Like I, I can't imagine <laughs> being tapped. Yeah. And giving that up. Um, so not celebrity famous, but when I was first applying to medicine, you obviously have this, you know, this vision as everybody does, you know, I'm going to cure cancer or something like that and yeah so in that way I wanted to be so well known in my field um not that I even want to go into oncology now I don't really know what I want to do but um it was still nice to feel like you'd done something to progress your field of medicine but even now like yeah maybe I will in in the future like that would be great but actually I sounds really boring but I just want to be really happy in what I do and I don't think I necessarily need to be the best at that and you are around such incredible people every day in the hospital people that you're just in awe of because they have such a passion and they're so caring and it's a bit intimidating because you're like, oh God, I want to be that good. But obviously I'm bottom of the rung at, at the moment and you just can't imagine ever being that good. So 
Um, yeah, I can't imagine being best in my field, but actually I just want to find something that I love and just be really happy and confident in what I'm doing. And I think my life will probably be quite ordinary. And I'm, I'm actually really quite at peace with that. Uh, I don't think it needs to be extraordinary. Um, my parents love what they do. And if they won the lottery tomorrow, they wouldn't quit work. They'd probably just work a bit less and, you know, have a bit less stress. And I think that is one of the most valuable lessons that I've in, they've instilled in us all. Um, just to love what you do. And, yeah, so I think I'm quite happy just liking what I do and not needing all the fame that comes with it. <laughs> do you feel like you've felt like that for a long time or can you put your finger on what shifted because what you just said about being really at peace with the idea of not having an extraordinary life I think that is what is kind of extraordinary and such a goal like I was saying to you earlier that's what I want I want to feel like that and I think I'm definitely actually on my way but I just wonder if you feel like anything happened or any context changed or any realizations like anything you put your finger on that got you to that place now or if it's something that you think you've had in you for quite a long time um I think maybe it's just being around such incredible people in their field and you just think if they've not been able to then why the hell do I think that I would be able to do more than you I think I don't know if it's just from a place of sort of feeling a, a bit inadequate when you first start a job or you're a medical student and you do just feel a bit pointless and a bit useless because you can't do anything. So I know that's maybe not the place where it should come from, but actually if I was to pin it, maybe it's just because I'm like, I'm not as amazing as them and I just don't think that I'll ever be as amazing as them. So if they can't, <laughs> you know cure cancer why the hell do I think that I could um but you never know maybe one day I'll do something extraordinary but the point is like yeah I I believe in myself and I think I could do that but yeah I don't think I really need to I just want to I think it's just the little things you know like I was saying earlier like I want to be kind <laughs> to people and just make little decisions in my everyday life that, you know, can affect people's lives positively. And it doesn't need to, I don't think that needs to be something big. Like, I think I really get a lot out of just like little connections that you make with people. And that's where I sort of get my happiness and my energy, I think. Um, so I think I'd be very satisfied just by thinking things that I do daily are making a positive impact. I love that. So... 10 years ago we were in the middle of our teens with no idea of what we would both be doing and I just wonder what do you think has changed about you and what do you think has stayed the same? Ooh. Um, this is a hard one I feel like this is something that you need to like ask your friends about um, but I said to you earlier, I've actually been um, running your questions uh, past my friends as like dinner chat. Um, I love this. This is like that new version of 36 questions to fall in love or whatever it is people do. 
Oh no, literally, Ella, I have used your questions on dates. <laughs> Amazing. I've used them amongst friends. And so it's actually been really nice to sort of, you know, chat to people <laughs> that have known you for a long time and they're able to, you know, give you a bit of insight into this. Um, but I think what has changed about me, um, I mean, when you're young, you're very sort of insecure I think that's just part of puberty isn't it and not knowing where you stand and if your friends like you and stuff um growing up I've been very lucky in that I've had really constant friends like you and my I have a best friend from primary school and I have a really big group of friends in my high school and they have just remained constant my sort of whole adult life really and you know being a teenager into adult life and so that sort of teaches you yeah I am I must be quite a good person or you know I can I can afford to you know not be like really self-conscious because there must be a reason that these people have stayed around the whole time Um, there definitely is I feel exactly the same whenever I have like a a big problem or something like really knocks me off balance it's always the people who've known you for a really long time that you're like well I don't feel self-conscious around me because you've known every single version of me that's existed pretty much and you're still here so even if I'm a cunt for a day you've known me for so many days that it's not gonna make a big mark yeah exactly and I also think I you know when you're growing up and you think oh, my parents do not know me at all, like, I can't talk to them, like, I need to be my own castle, you know. Um, I definitely was growing up, like, I had some really hard things that happened in my childhood, and I think that really, really closed me off, because, you know, you don't know how to deal with it when you're 16, and so, you know, I became closed off, and I didn't want to talk to my parents and stuff, whereas now, I don't know really how, why that changed, but I am honestly like there is not a single thought that I have that I do not share with a friend or my mum or somebody like I talk through everything and I don't know how I ever didn't do that before because other people just offer great advice like my mum she is so wise um she offers most incredible advice and I'm so glad that I've sort of come out of that and now I literally ring her and I talk to her about everything and I talk to my friends about everything um so that's a good thing that's changed I'm glad that I'm a bit more like you know I look outside for help and don't just try and deal with it all myself because you know nobody can do that um do you know what age that changed like could you pinpoint it or is it gradual I think it was when I went to uni and me and my high school boyfriend broke up and obviously the first big like love of your life and we broke up and I honestly you know you think the world is ending I was like I will never be happy again and I really really struggled because I just moved to Glasgow as well and it's a new city and I left all my home friends at home and I just felt so alone and I just really wasn't coping and my mum would ring me bless her every single morning on her way to work and sometimes my sister would be in the car as well because uh, she'd drive her to college and I, <laughs> I would literally cry while oh, I ate oh. breakfast every single morning and my mum would say Molly time is a healer and you obviously you think that's it, you know you think you'll never get out of this but I think yeah just from that like 
talking to my mum every single day and obviously needing to talk to your friends because, you know, how do you deal with a breakup without your friends? Um, yeah, I think that would, I, if I had to pinpoint it to a place, shout out to my uh, high school boyfriend. I hope you that know, he listens. Uh, we I can send we, it to him. We can. He's a lovely boy, to be fair. So <laughs> we love him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is there anything else like that has or hasn't changed that's like a big thing you can see over the last 10 years? Um, I think what hasn't changed is how big a part like my family and my friends play in my life. Um, I think they're just the most important things. Like, you know, hopefully one day I will find a partner, but I think they, you know, they'll need to fit into my life with my family and friends. Um, and I think, yeah, as I've said, like that is because my friends have been such a constant um, and I, my family is really, really close and I'm close to all my siblings and, you know, my grandparents and things. And I feel so lucky because I know a lot of families aren't like that. But yeah, that's something that will never change is, you know, I'll always put my friends first or at least try to, and I'll always have time to, ring a friend or send some flowers or you know be there in the way that you know you can try and be there for someone when they're going through something and I hope that that will always be really important to me and I think that it will do obviously things change but yeah I think even if I was married with kids you know I still would need to speak to my best friends on the phone all the time and call my mum and you know things like that I think that will never change you know definitely I think for sure I think of you as someone who has amazing relationships with friends and family and particularly friends and that's something that I prior to maybe this year also kind of you know maybe quite arrogantly also thought about myself I always thought of someone who like cultivated really good friendships and then since my breakup over the last year and I've talked to you about this um like quite a lot over the last year I've definitely realised that maybe some of those friendships weren't the way that I maybe thought they were or that they changed quite a lot and, you know, the effect of the pandemic and leaving university. And I think a lot of people in their 20s feel really, really lonely. And so I kind of wanted to ask not just how your relationships have changed over your 20s, which I am really interested in, but also how you feel that you kind of cultivate and maintain friendships so yeah this is actually really something that I think I've quite quite recently over you know the last few years learned as well because friends are such a big part of my life and obviously when you're all at school the only thing is you know your school and your friendships and going out and stuff and they're such a huge part of your life sort of the main part of your life but then actually as people grow up you realize you know, people get partners or people, you know, suffer with their mental health and they can't be, you know, as present as they once were. And, you know, things happen to everybody and people react to them in different ways. And it's made me realise that actually, like, friendships can ebb and wane, you know, and friendships will change, but not to always think that it's going to be a bad thing. Um, Because I think in my first few years of uni, when I went away and everyone was still at home because they all took gap years and stuff I was like my god everyone's gonna forget about me and they're all having all this fun together and I wanted to ring them all the time um but actually those friendships are going to be there forever really if they're meant to be you know and they're the right people for you which I think my friends are 
Uh, but then equally, you know, I've had some friends going through really tough times and, you know, I've not been able to be there for them as much as I would like to be. And I think when growing up, you want to be like the main person in someone's life and you want to be the person that has all of the answers and can be everything for somebody, especially your your best friends. And I think growing up has made me realise that nobody can be one person's everything however much you want to be and it's unhealthy to think that you can be and actually puts a strain on friendships as well um the same with romantic relationships it's the same sort of premise um and now uh, yeah it's made me think you know you do have different friendships for different things like uh, we actually discussed this yesterday you know we have certain friends in our friendship group if I want literally like girl power, man-hating advice, and I want someone to big me up, I have a friend that I'll go to for that. Whereas when I want, you know, someone that's going to, like, wallow with me, you know, like, I'll go to someone for that. And, like, it's actually just, like, incredible and beautiful that you just have this, like, mosaic of friends. And, like, together, they just, like, form this, like, tight-knit, like, web. And, like, all together, you are, like, so strong. And you grow together. And, like, they make you a better person. But I think, like, for that to be achievable, you need to, like, actually not think that, yeah, one person can answer all my problems and be the, you know, be there all the time for me because that's not healthy. And also not being sad when friendships change. Like, I think our friendship is a great, like, example of this. Like, we've always had a long-distance friendship, really. Like, we would see each other once, twice a year and we would sit in your kitchen with a glass of wine or a cup of tea and we would chat for four or five hours. And that was like always what our friendship was really when we went both went to uni. It was when sort of you were going through your breakup and I'd just been through quite a similar breakup uh, a few months before. And I was like, okay, if there's one thing I know, <laughs> it's how this is going to feel. Um, so I was like, okay, I can step up like this is something that I can do and I think I mean I'm not blowing my own trumpet or anything I couldn't be that ever for you all the time but I feel like since then we've chatted so much more and we've been like more like present in each other's lives and that has been so nice because we've been friends since we were born and I actually think now we're probably like the best friends we've ever been it's actually stemmed from something really like sad happening in your life but actually it is beautiful that I think you know, after 24 years of friendship, I actually, we're sort of making a new friendship, you know? I don't know if that sounds really No, like... I, I completely agree. And I think, like, it is really weird because we were quite close friends because we used to go on loads of family holidays and stuff in terms of, like, quality time. But then you're right, like, that, that fades. But there is, I totally agree with you, this, like, ebb and flow. And I think the where you run into trouble is when you're in like a fixed mindset about a friend that like that that is all that it's going to be and blah 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 and when you're you know someone has to make the change so for us to get closer closer over the last year I totally agree like massively we're like I'm just going to step up and check in on this person and like call them or leave voice notes or whatever is needed and then of course that like gets reciprocated and I completely agree we've got loads closer and it's so nice because you're now back in Manchester and I've literally just moved back obviously I'm going away 
but that's really exciting because your your lives also change and you're going to be around different groups of people and you kind of have to be willing to have the same flex when I was a teenager I was much more like all or nothing about friendships but I think as you get older you realize that yeah you should be more forgiving of people and also more open to things yeah getting getting closer or changing or I I think that's so nice that's like one of the nicest things that can happen in relationships especially like a friendship like ours which is so old and you're right like there's so much it's always been something that's been very like comforting and affirming but I think there's been times where we've hung out and been like oh we like just catch up but we should like go out but that never (laughs) that never like worked like we never actually had time to like do activities because we were always in the same place for like one afternoon you know And it was like, right, here's like eight months of our lives, download kind of vibe. And I love that. But it also excites me that we actually are going to be in the same place and we could actually maybe go on a night out. Like, that would be so fun. Oh my God, what if we hate each other on a night out? (laughs) Well, we did go on that literally the worst night out in the world for... Oh my God. Sorry to Jack's friend who's never going to hear this (laughs) podcast, but... That was literally the worst club I've ever been to, and it was still fun. So it was. We made the best of it, didn't we? So, exactly. I have faith. We'll, we'll work <laughs> best together. Um, not following on from this because I don't think this is something that we're going to need. But do you have any good breakup advice in terms of friendship breakups and also romantic breakups? I've obviously heard a lot of your and taken on board a lot of your romantic breakup advice but I think it's a really interesting topic because it's something that everyone is going to go through in one way or another whether it's platonic sexual romantic like whatever it is it's going to happen to you in your 20s yeah so I I think I I can give a lot of like (laughs) Um, romantic breakup advice I've been through my fair share of drama in my times mine are really cliche and I wish they were not cliche but <laughs> I mean cliche is a cliche for a reason but my breakup advice would definitely be that time is a healer and I think I mentioned my mum saying that to me um, when I broke up with my first boyfriend and as I said, like you just, you literally don't believe it. And I think I, I said it to you as well, because I was a few months ahead of you in the breakup um, schedule, the life, the life cycle of a breakup. And it's just like, I feel them really hard. Like I really do. And I'm like, we'll put my hands up and say that. But, and there's, you know, a moment where you just honestly, you're like, I'm never going to be happy again. And I'm very dramatic when it comes to feeling sad. I honestly feel like I'll never be happy again. But I do just believe that one day, it'll be like two minutes will have gone by where you've not felt sad and you're like bloody hell that was a full two minutes and then actually it just just get longer and longer until you've literally not thought about them for a whole day and yeah and you just don't think it's going to happen because you're like hurting so much but it does and actually I think the like growth you have during a breakup you end up like way happier than you were in a relationship that wasn't good for you like obviously relationships break up for different reasons but I think I yeah I always like to think you can learn something from everything and I think breakups are good because you learn so much about yourself and you learn what you want from a partner and things like that um but yeah you do need to be patient with yourself and 
let yourself feel the pain and the frustration and the anger and everything and not try and like speed it up you know like you need to like wallow in it and actually then when you do have that and you know hour where you've not felt like thought about the person that you're missing the highs are so high they really really are and then at the end of it you're like oh god I don't even care about them anymore and you actually are like you know yourself better um so yeah time as a healer is one and then my mum's best friend who um is such a close family friend she is a therapist and she would just offer the most you know amazing advice it was like free therapy when I was going through breakup she is an absolute queen and she would always say to me um Molly you've just got to know your worth um and I think that's really hard because especially when you're growing up and you know you don't have much self-confidence or when you're in a relationship that's not very good for you you don't know your worth and that's the problem you don't you feel like you deserve what you're getting um but actually you like you need to be your own best advocate and you can't always be that for yourself and that's why your friends are just like incredible um and they will sort of tell you know your worth and and they'll be that you know person in your corner for you um but yeah knowing what am I willing to put into a relationship and what am I willing to sacrifice and does that person will they do that back for me yeah sometimes you just need to like go for what is good for you rather than what feels nice and that is really hard to know because it is nice to be liked especially when it feels like the being liked is an achievement I I really agree with both of those and I think so often the second is so hard because the breakup can be a massive knock to your self-worth and the thing they kind of work together because time is a healer in the sense that you have to take time on your own and when you're taking time on your own you have to learn to be nice to yourself and that in and of itself it's almost worth going through a horrible breakup just if it makes you learn to be nice to yourself in a way that you haven't before like I almost am so glad that I went through a really horrible breakup last year because I could have just carried on and not learned that I had to develop a skill which is very hard to develop of genuinely being really nice and kind of looking after yourself hopefully regardless of like future relationships I'm not going to lose that skill that might be a really naive thing to say and we're making this podcast in our 30s and I'll be like it went out the window (laughs) but I hope that it's been very hard won and it has taken a lot of time I mean I had an experience where the thing you said about um suddenly realizing that you've not thought about it I like couldn't fall asleep for months without watching something because that was when I would not be able to distract myself like I would be doing all kinds of other things in the day throwing myself into work seeing all my friends anything and anything I could everything I could to like be in other things and be distracted and then when I went to bed it was like all I could think about so I just watched other stuff and it took a few months and then one night I just fell asleep without putting anything on and then from then on I just could Mm. and I was like oh my god like I I honestly there was a point where I was thinking like how am I going to live the rest of my life (laughs) 
falling asleep to podcasts, I'm going to have to get special ear pods that I can put in so that when I have to share beds with people, like if I'm traveling and I'm in a hostel dorm, I have to put headphones in. Yeah, like, and, and that is also completely fine. I think I got to the point where I was just like, initially that stressed me. And then in the theme of the whole being nice to yourself thing, one day I was just like, well, that's okay if I have to do that. That's absolutely fair enough. I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to judge myself. If I need to listen to a podcast, falling asleep for the next three years, that's not a problem. That's what we'll do. And I think it's like that being nice to yourself that actually makes it easier. Exactly. Yeah. Just not trying to rush through it. And it is a process and it is different for everybody. Yeah. And just allowing yourself to like feel the hurt because actually I think it helps you get over it so much quicker when you are just nice to yourself. Yeah. And you don't judge yourself and... You don't kick yourself for, you know, having a bump in the road where you cry all the time again, you know. And it also just helps, yeah, having the good friends around you that will support you through everything and remind you that, you know, to be nice to yourself. Because you need that sometimes, don't you? Like, you're not always your best friend, especially during a breakup. And yeah, so being nice to yourself and being around people that force you to be nice to yourself. Definitely, especially when, I mean, what I've really noticed is it is break up season. So I went through it a few months after you. My friend went through it a couple of weeks after me. Another friend had gone through it a year before. Friends are going through it now. I think there are periods of life, like, this is something that happens to most people. That's the thing. Like, when you're going through it, you're genuinely like, I am the only person that's felt this level of pain. And obviously, every relationship is unique, but people have been as heartbroken and more heartbroken than you and they've turned out absolutely fine. I think that's something that really helped. And also because I was cheated on, I would literally be like, it happened to Beyonce. <laughs> it happened to Dua Lipa. This is the kind of company it's okay to keep. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, if it happens to the, the queen, you know. Literally. Can, you know, we That genuinely helped me. I remember <laughs> journaling that and just being like, because I think it can really knock your confidence and make you feel like there was something wrong with you or it makes you feel bad about yourself, like you were saying. But when you're just like, what happened to all these amazing people? It's not about me at all. And and that and genuinely having people like the way that you were for me as well, that have gone through the same thing, just makes you realise that it happens to really, you know, heartbreak happens to great people all the time. You're in good, you're actually in very good company. Yeah, I also remember saying to my mum, because I also got cheated on in the last relationship, I remember being like, it wasn't feminist of me to be, to like allow someone to cheat on me. And my mum was literally like, what on earth are you talking about? But I was like, I'm a strong woman, mum. Like, I would never let any of this happen to any of my friends. So like, why have I let it happen to myself? And yeah that was also such a weird thing that I came out with and I was like and just yeah little things like that it's just like having people in your life that will check you and not allow you to get through that (laughs) yeah not allow you to hold on to that idea yeah I'm not a feminist (laughs) 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 Jesus Christ I don't think there'd be a lot of feminists left I'm gonna tell you that I know I really don't think there would (laughs) (laughs) um do you have a plan for your life um maybe like a loose one like I see I have a vision vaguely of what I want my life to be like um mm-hmm. walk me through walk me through. okay so 
I'm part of a big family. I have many a sibling. Um, and we're very close, as I said before. So um, I see myself with, you know, a partner, hopefully, and a lot of kids. Um, I would love to raise my children um, near to my mum and dad because I think they would make the most amazing grandparents. Like, yeah, so indulgent. Be, <laughs> no, literally, they'll be the ones... They do it for my cousins, actually, as well. They'll secretly feed them chocolate when my auntie's not looking um, because she's very strict with what she feeds them. And so that'll be what they're like for my kids. You know, they'll be the most fun, loving grandparents. And I've got such a good relationship with my grandparents. Like, I want that for my kids. Um, also, you know, free childcare. Uh, <laughs> you need that. Um, and I think in terms of my career like I honestly don't know what I want to do so many people in medicine know exactly what they want to do um so it's you know equally scary and sort of freeing to not know and hope one day you will um but I have this like moment where I was like wow this is what I want for my life and it's so like simple but um I was on my pediatrics block which is like children's medicine and I remember I had a morning on the paediatric cardiology ward and I like jo- turned up, like joined the ward round and it was like two female consultants doing the ward round and they obviously were friends outside of work and they like turned up and they were in the best mood and they were like laughing and chatting about what they'd done at the weekend and their families and stuff. So they were obviously like, you know, the best of friends as well as being um, powerful women in medicine you know and like colleagues working together and they were just like so at ease and so like happy and confident in what they were doing and by being that way they really put me at ease and they were so like warm and welcoming and we stopped midway through the wardrobe to have cake for someone's birthday and coffee and I was like whatever I end up doing I just want that I want to be that happy and I want to be that at ease and, you know, like comfortable in my field. It doesn't really matter what that is, but I just like couldn't imagine one day, you know, being able to strut on the ward and like feel like I belong there. And you do get that. Like every day you turn up and you feel more like, yes, I have a role here and I, I, you know, need to be here. Um, But yeah, whatever I do, I want to be really happy doing it and just feel really like, comfortable and love what I do because you know I have good colleagues and um I really care about the job that I'm doing so it's sort of like yeah it's more of a feeling I think for my future like big family love what I do which I think is literally just like what my parents have like instilled into us all because I'm literally describing like their life you know <laughs> that's so nice like what an amazing compliment to your parents and and I totally think that it's much more realistic to and much more you know optimistic I guess to aim for a feeling instead of a really specific five-year ten-year twenty-year plan like I love that idea I think I might take that of like how do I want to feel when I'm older instead of what do I want to have achieved necessarily um I think this follows on pretty well because something that I wanted to talk to you about is that I think you're really one of the most positive people that I know and you're always looking on like the bright side of things and just really able to be kind of like at peace and enjoying things you know you're someone where when you ask how you are and you say good I'm like 
she's actually good. <laughs> like she's really good if she's saying she's good. Um, and I just wondered if you know why you're like that. Like I want the inside scoop. I want to know the secret to this. Do you think that it has taken effort to get there? Do you know how we can be more like that? Please share. <laughs> that honestly like brings a tear to my eye like to think that that's how people view me like I don't know you are your own worst enemy aren't you and like if I have a day where I feel grumpy I'm literally like oh my god I'm (laughs) so grumpy but I guess I do try and yeah like I, I try and put positive spin on things um I don't know I think I feel like this is quite a deep answer um so you know strap yourselves in um but when, yeah, I sort of alluded to, like, some, like, difficulty that I had growing up. But when I was six, well, sort of 14 to 16, I had a, my best friend, she got cancer and she sort of, like, battled with cancer for two years. And she passed away when I was 16, just before GCSEs. And obviously when you're that age, you just, you can't deal with that. And you don't do well. And I was just... I was so sad, like so sad. And your brain isn't mature enough to sort of comprehend that and deal with it. And that's sort of when I started to, you know, like close off from my family and not want to talk about things and stuff like that. And I think like having had that sadness and like slowly you sort of get out of that over the, you know, years following that. And I think now I'm just, I I don't want to ever let myself sort of slip into that sort of, you know, sadness that consumes you. So I do try and, like, get a positive spin out of everything. Like, you know, someone dying is horrible, but you can think, even just little things like, you know, I got to know her and she was incredible and she instilled all these, like, values into me. Um, And, you know, being too close to your friends and, you know, it's not always positive things can spin out of everything, but there's a positive outlook you can have, you know, things you've learned. And yeah, I think it's just, I just try and look for something positive because I just, I'm one of those people, you know, when you're in like a queue and like people are just really, really like grumpy about being in a queue. And I just think, but you're just making it so much worse for yourself and like everyone around you. Whereas if you actually are just really nice and you think, right, what can I get out of this that's positive, even though it's a bit crap, like talk to the people around you, you know, make some pals and like, there is always something positive, even out of, like, the worst situation in the world. And at the time, you can't always see it. And believe me, like, when that happened with my friend, like, I didn't see any positive side. But actually, on reflection, like, I think, you know, that's probably pushed me towards medicine and the career that I'm doing now. And there's always, yeah, something you can get out of it. So I think that's why I, yeah, try and be positive. Because you can't control what happens to you in life. Like, you really, really can't. And that is so scary, but you can control how you react to things. And so I think that gives you a power over life, for sure. It gives you so much perspective at such a young age to fully realise that you can't make what you want to happen happen by just trying or being the absolute best or doing the most that you can possibly do. Like, it's almost exactly what you said to to release that control it is almost empowering because it gives you the freedom to just see the best of the situation being able to like focus on that and be grateful for that I think is like 
an incredibly amazing and really really fucking difficult thing to be able to do especially when it happens when you're young and, and you have to adjust to it over time it's kind of like I, I, I do get it because if you've done that it's like other things just don't really compare I guess no, exactly exactly like minor things happening you're sort of like yeah <laughs> I have gone to hell and back and I have actually become stronger for it so it really does like put things into perspective and I don't get me wrong <laughs> I'm not a ray of sunshine all the time um but yeah I I do try and be um it's also just nice you know you just never know what other people are going through as well and so if you can be that person that like asks someone a question and like it just says something nice you know just like I was out last night and you know a little nice thing isn't going to cost you anything but you know just telling a woman in the toilets that you literally like think she looks incredible because obviously she does but like you know just going out your way to just be like wow <laughs> you look so good and if someone does that to me I'm like oh that's so nice because they really didn't need to say that but just yeah just like little things like that because you just don't know what other people are going through and actually if you just try and be that positive um like a positive person in their life that day you actually might really help people and you might not you might not even realize and you're gonna feel better as well I think yeah. someone once advised that to me they were like if you want to feel better why don't you try making someone else feel better like that will also help you to just put that little bit of positivity out into the world you are also in that world like you also get that <laughs> yeah oh that is really nice advice <laughs> whoever gave you that they were a wise soul mm. I think it was probably a therapist knowing me <laughs> I've had enough of them. Um, the last thing that I wanted to ask you before I let you go and literally go into your room and say hello in person <laughs> is there's a very big deal that I I think anyway that there's a big deal made about sort of trying to become yourself in your 20s quick, quick before you're 30, you know, the dreaded, looming, whatever, which I don't really believe in. But do you feel right now like you are yourself? That is such a hard one because as we were sort of saying about a question before, like we'll film this again in 10 years and we'll be like, oh my God, we were so nice <laughs> in our 20s. Yeah, we didn't know anything. All of that was false. Exactly. <laughs> because it's like when you think about to when you're like 16, 17 and you honestly think you're the bee's knees and you're starting to go out and stuff and you think you're like so cool and you know everything. And actually I look back at my like, my little self and I'm like, you were so cute, but you were so naive and you knew nothing um so I think I I am starting to really feel like myself actually which is really really nice um I think I'm very like confident and I'm you know after like breakups and other things happen in your life you know what is valuable to you and what you look for in like other relationships and other friendships and stuff like that and so my mum always says, you know, to find, you know, to, to find a partner and stuff, you need to know actually what is really important to you and what your like moral pillars are. And I think I'm starting to, I mean, it's always been like family and friends and things like that, but it's the smaller things like what you want from people and what you expect from people and things like that. It's getting to know that and you only get to know that through experiences like friendships ending and 
I think just as time goes by, yeah, you do learn a lot about yourself. Um, so I guess, yeah, I do feel like myself. I feel like you're always learning more things. And will she always be this like, <laughs> much of a, a chatty Cathy? Maybe I'll tone myself down. Um, I hope I'm not. sure I will. <laughs> I'm, I think I'll probably change a lot um, as the years go by. But I do feel like myself, like, which is really, really nice. I feel less, like, insecure and I am sort of feel very much like, okay, this is me. And when I meet new people now, I kind of just don't want to tone myself down. Like, I want to show them exactly who I am because I'm sort of like, I want you to like me for who I am. And I don't want you to, like, actually learn who the real me is, you know, a few months down the line and be like, who's she, you know? You know when you're, like, 16 and you're, like, trying to conform? I feel like you just don't do that later on because you're like, I actually want these people to like me for who I am. Yeah. Um, which is I really think nice. I've totally understand that because I think this is the first period of time where I felt like I'd actually rather you got to know what I'm really like and didn't like me straight off I'd rather the first time or the second time that you met me you were just like nah actually not for me whereas before I was much more into being able to win anyone over which is just code for not being yourself (laughs) yeah exactly and I think as you get older as well you just realize you're like hey I'm amazing (laughs) like people should like me for who I am and but you do need that like confidence and you get that from being a bit older and like, yeah, hell, I'm not perfect. I have many flaws, but I'm like, I quite like who I am. And I like my friends and family who are sort of, you know, a reflection of you. And even if you're feeling a bit rubbish sometimes and you don't feel like yourself, I everything I say just comes back to how amazing my family and my friends are. Like, <laughs> you look around you and you think, wow, like, I must have done something right. I must be an okay person. Because I like, look at these people that are like, part of my life and my like closest circle and I'm like wow you're all amazing and I would literally die for you all so I must be okay (laughs) somewhere amongst (laughs) all of that you know you definitely are and I really have enjoyed having this chat so much I'm sure it will go on much longer in person but I will stop the recording now okay (laughs) 